this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. so nice to see so many of you dressed so ugly today. Um, It's the only day, the whole year, I'll tell you, you're looking that way, okay? And it's a good thing. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Adam, and I'm the pastor here at The Point. And for those of you that I've known for the last two and a half years or sometime in between, I'm glad you're here today. We believe in this place that God is not waiting for you to get your life together and have it all perfect, but we believe that exactly as you are, wherever you're starting, wherever you're at, wherever you've been, he says, I love you. And I'm here for you. And that's what we want to say to you as well. We love you and we are here for you. Over the last several weeks, we've been in this series called Letters from God, examining how do we hear from God and what is God saying to us? Specifically, we've been looking at the book of Revelation. In the beginning of that book, he writes a series of seven letters directly from God to his church. And they're really, really convicting and challenging. Every one of these letters, God calls out the church for not being the church, for not living the way they're supposed to live, for not trusting in who he is, and in doing so, he warns them to repent, which is a fancy way of saying, turn back to what is real and what is right. Turn back to my way. We've been looking at what God says to us through these letters. And if you haven't been here, let me just catch you up to speed. Some of these letters are really, really hard. Because they say things 2,000 years ago that I think we still battle and face today. And I have to apologize. I think, personally, the letter today is perhaps the most difficult one for our community yet. In fact, I imagine if Jesus were writing it today, he wouldn't be writing to the church in Sardis that we're going to read about. He'd say, to the church in Knoxville, this is what I have against you. And so I I say that to tell you up front, if what I'm about to say offends you, I'm sorry. I hope what I have to say helps you to see Jesus. And, And if you're offended and convicted in any way, I hope what I'm about to say helps you to see his promise for you and the good things he wants for you. See, in the very first letter to Ephesus, he writes that they've done a really, really good job knowing what is right and what is true. They've done a great job getting rid of all the theology and the stuff that is bad. But what they've failed at is loving their neighbor. He reminds them, he says, come back to your first love, which is both God and others. Come back to that love. That's what's really important. And we see each letter afterwards kind of get progressively worse. 
Because then uh, they begin to fear, what if I say or do something and it causes pain to me? Specifically, what if people come against me because I love God and they're afraid of persecution? And then after that, in the third letter, he writes and he says, warning, you guys have embraced this idea that every truth is good if it's your truth. You guys have embraced this idea that you can believe whatever you want, that you can live however you want, that God says, come as you are and stay exactly as you are. But he loves you way too much to keep you there. And God warns them, he says, look, I want you to remember who I am. See, in the following church, the one we looked at last week, it it takes that sin a little further. And not as it only just your truth is your truth, it's good for you. Believe whatever you want to believe. I'll pick and choose the parts of Jesus I like. It goes a step further to say, Jesus isn't actually all that different. All of our faith, whatever you believe in, as long as it's something, is probably okay. And Jesus warns them, and he says, that's really, really bad. But unfortunately, in today's letter, where he gets to what he says to the church today is one step further. You see, when we allow ourselves to be focused on being right at the expense of being really wrong, when we allow ourselves to be filled with fear of what could happen if we do what's right instead of what, he, what others want, if, if we allow that fear to stop us, these things kind of spiral out of control. And soon enough, Jesus is not that unique. And if Jesus is not that unique, we get to today's problem. Here's what it says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. If you remember there in the first chapter of this book, Jesus describes himself in this whole series of different uh, metaphorical pictures of who he is. And so in every one of these letters, he starts out saying, this is who I am. And it's something from that first chapter. In that first chapter, the seven stars, the seven spirits were the spirit of God through his messengers for the church. It says, look, to the one who holds the very spirit of God on your behalf to the one who sends him, to the one who is. I am that one who will send the Holy Spirit. I'm the one who's sending all these messengers. Look, this is who's speaking. And this is what he says. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The city of Sardis at this time was not that impressive, about 50 miles from the city of Ephesus. So geographically, relatively close to the same church we started with. About 50 miles from there, this, the city at one time was this great, magnificent city. Almost the center of life in the area, the center of authority and power. Unfortunately, two different times, the city was sacked. And it was sacked because the people weren't paying attention. 
Because the watchmen at night, see what would happen is there would be watchmen all hours of the day who would stand on the walls and they would look for an enemy coming. And two different times, the watchmen weren't paying attention and didn't tell the city what was happening. And two different times, because of their lack of attention, the city was sacked and totally destroyed. Now in the days of this writing, the city was no longer significant. Had this glory of what once was that it was now just a shell of. And Jesus, he writes, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You look like everything is going really well, but it's not. You look like there's hope and life and good things coming from you, but it's not. And he uses that watchman language. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Wake up. I love that God interacts with history in such a way that he'd speak to this church in the very way that they had failed in the past. The watchman at night not paying attention, he says, wake up because what's about to happen is just like that. You have this reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Let me put it to you in other words. You act like you believe, but you don't. You look like this is important, but it's not. Warning, wake up and strengthen what remains. And as I was reading this and preparing this, it really hit me that this, more than any of the others, feels like Knoxville today. See, we as the point are one congregation in the midst of the whole church. And the whole church is not just individual congregations. We're all believers in all places at all times. And we are one congregation, but this city has over 700 different congregations. People who gather together on a regular basis to declare the name of God, to praise him and hear his word. This city has a reputation of loving Jesus. I didn't come from the Bible Belt. If you're from the South, this may come as a shock to you. Most of the country does not talk about Christ or Christianity in the same way we do. Here in the South, it's kind of the standard, right? Uh, You just, everywhere you go, somebody has in their house, like, God bless this house, or God bless you, or bless your heart. That's supposed to be a nice thing, right? Everywhere you go, you'll hear conversations of people talking about God. You can hardly find a property to move a church congregation into that's not surrounded by other church congregations. We're filled with them everywhere we go. And yet, the way we speak as a city, as a collection of congregations, as churches, and the way we act don't always go hand in hand. We speak about God's love for our city. Meanwhile, we're busy competing with one another to have the bigger building or the greater ministry or the better budget. We speak about God's love for our city, but only if people fit our picture and our mold of what we think God wants them to be like. I read a study about a year and a half ago of Knoxville specifically. And it was a study where they... They, they did this massive survey to get a picture, a snapshot of the faith in Knoxville. With over 700 congregations, over 80% of people in Knoxville claim to be Christian. Over 80% claim to be Christian. That's a unique thing. 
of those 80%, less than 64 actually admit to participating in the life of church more than once a month. Almost 24% of our community that claims to be Christian says they have no church affiliation of what, whatsoever. They just do it on their own. And the problem with doing faith on your own, with living this life apart from a community around you, is it's really hard to stay on fire and to live the way God's called you to live when you're an ember burning by yourself. Anybody ever lit a flame? I love fire. Put me around a fire pit, I'll sit there all night long. What happens to the ember that jumps out of the fire? One of two things. Either it goes cold and dies, or it catches something on fire that is not supposed to burn. The church in Knoxville has a reputation of being alive, but unfortunately I think far too often we're actually dead. We focus all of our energy on what's in it for me. What can we get out of it? How do we grow? How do I get something from this? As opposed to, what do they need? How can I love my, my neighbor more? In this study that I read, it said that there's enough people in Knoxville who claim to be Christian, but have very little or no participation in the church that you could fill Neyland Stadium more than three times with people who claim faith and have no affiliation with the church. Here at the point we talk about connecting the disconnected, those are the people we care about focusing on. See, there are congregations that sometimes accidentally focus on reaching other Christians. If we can have a better ministry, a better program, a bigger building, if we can do things right, then other Christians will come and realize we're the better church to be at. And there's some good value to that. But unfortunately, what about all of those who don't know that they're loved? who haven't been welcomed because they don't look the way the church thinks they should look or they don't quite believe what the church believes or they definitely don't act the way the church acts. Jesus is writing to this group. He says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And it's really easy for me to look at Knoxville as a whole and say, clearly this is what he'd say to all of Knoxville. But he'd definitely not say it to us at the point, right? Like, clearly, we're the ones who are actually alive, right? We've got it all together. If you've been here longer than an hour, you know that's not true. The, the truth of the matter is, he could be saying this to us just the same. Look, you have this reputation of welcoming people to come as they are, and then you don't ever greet them or say hello. You have this reputation of, of welcoming people to come as they are, and then you don't ever actually care about them outside of this hour. And you don't take time to visit them when they're sick or they're in the hospital and you don't stand beside them when they're in jail or you look at the community around us. So that's somebody else's problem. Right now in Knox County, there are over 700 children who are ready to be adopted. 700 children who have already gone through all of the long and grueling and painful process of the court determining you cannot go back to your parents and your rights, their rights will be terminated. And they just need a family to say, I will love you forever. And I wonder, why is it that there's over 700 churches, congregations, and there's still 700 kids waiting for somebody to love them? 
Or what about the Community Coalition? We partner with them a lot, the Community Coalition Against Human Trafficking. I mentioned last week that they were going to send us a list of Christmas gifts that we could buy for some of their clients, ways we could serve their clients. And I got that list on Friday afternoon. And they didn't tell me names of clients, but they said this is the age and this is what they'd like. And there were clients on that list who were 14 who've been trafficked in our community most of the time by family members who claim to be Christian. Knoxville, Point, what would Jesus say to us? Are we living in a way that is fitting with our reputation? Are we being the people he made us to be, loving our neighbor even when it hurts? You can say, well, I can't take somebody into my house. I can't fix human trafficking. You're right. You and I can do nothing about that on our own. But we together can. We together can say our actions in our neighborhoods are more important than the words that we speak when we gather together. It also looks like this. How many of you are on social media? Anybody? For those of you who aren't, you're either lying or I celebrate you. One of the two. All right. I'll leave that up to you. How many of you have a political affiliation of some kind? An opinion about some issue? You're either lying or you're raising your hand right now. We all have an opinion about some issue. We have an affiliation in some way. And how many of you think the person on the other side of the aisle is wrong? Most of us, or you're lying. (laughs) All right, see, there's a theme here. Unfortunately, we live in the Bible Belt. And one of the things that is unique about the Bible Belt that does not happen in the rest of the country is there is a, a, a marriage almost between political persuasion and faith. A marriage that says, you must believe what I believe and vote the way I vote or you're not actually a part of my church family. And here's where I'm going to poke the bear. Uh, If you've not been around here long, I like to poke a bear and just walk away, all right? Super safe. Don't do it in Gatlinburg, okay? Here's the deal. When you poke the bear, what about this? We live in a culture where our our faith community says we're pro-life. We think abortion is wrong. I think it's wrong. I think scripture thinks it's wrong. I don't think it's good. We, we live in a culture that says abortion's wrong. But you know what? We also live in a church culture where we don't want to do anything to support the woman or the husband or the father who's saying, now what in this situation? We live in a culture that says, as long as the baby's born, it doesn't matter after that. But what are we as a church doing once the baby's born to a family that can't support it? Or a mom who's addicted? Oftentimes, far too little. And then you go to the other side of the aisle and you have those of us who are on the left who say, you know what? We think abortion's a woman's health issue. And we turn a blind eye to the fact that in many clinics where abortion happens, it is not healthy for women. And we turn a blind eye and our culture says things like, shout your abortion, right? Celebrate it, this is good. There's nothing good about it. In fact, did you know that most of the abortion industry came out of an attempt to eliminate minorities from our community? Now now today, most people receiving services from abortion industries, most people in that place are minorities. 
And, and the argument that supports it says, well, they're the ones most in need of the services. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, uh, was a known eugenicist. She believed minorities were a blight on society and should be eliminated. And a quote from her says this, we will never convince them that they're an inferior race. The best we can do is convince them it would be better for their children to not be born. Which is the narrative in our culture. And on both sides of the aisle, people use Jesus to justify it. One of the things that shocked me when I moved here was the number of candidates politically who spent more time talking about the faith they had in Jesus than the plans they had for our city and our country and our problems. Jesus is not a political persuasion. He is not Republican and he's not Democrat. Jesus is not a platform to gain power over somebody else. Jesus is not your way to make everybody else think you have it all together. In fact, what we see in scripture is those who believe Jesus is those things completely miss the boat. And in Matthew 23, Jesus says something really uncomfortable. There are seven different things he cries out against the religious leaders. Seven different times he tells them they're doing it all wrong. This is the first one. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Does that sound like Knoxville at all? You clean the outside... You make it look like everything's put together. You go to church and you put a smile on and you act like you're not struggling. You think my problems go away as long as I just hide them long enough. You want everybody else to think you're doing it right. He says, but on the inside, you're filled with greed and self-indulgence. Knoxville, what if this is us? What if this is you and me? We try to act like it's all, all okay, but it's really not. We try to act like we know it more than the person next to us, like we've figured it out, like we've overcome that problem, and that's their problem, not mine. He goes on to describe with another image this same group of people. In verse 27, he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Like a tomb that has been painted white and looks beautiful on the outside, you're just dead on the inside. Church, I think every one of us at times is guilty of this. We want people to think we've got it all figured out. We want people to think that we don't have our mess. Those sins we continue to struggle with, some of which we don't struggle with, we actually really enjoy. Is that you? Because I'm guilty of that. There are things I do that really feel fun. Right? Like when my kids are misbehaving and I get to yell at them, not to discipline them, but to try to put some fear in them. You ever put the fear of God in your kids? If not, you don't have kids, all right? Because every one of us at some point wants to convince our kid to do what we want, not because it's better for them or it's God's will, but because we're tired and annoyed and they're driving us nuts. Guilty. <laughs> and we can put it all together and act like we've got it all figured out and we can fight and scream and yell in the car and then we get out of the car and we walk into church and suddenly we're all great. 
You ever done that? The Sunday morning argument, right? I will talk to you about this after church, right? You're like gritting your teeth as you're grinning, saying hello to the people around you. And church, I wonder if all of our gathering, whether it's here or through the week or with an ugly sweater race or all the things we're doing, I wonder if Jesus would look and say, you look like you've got it all together, but you don't. And I wonder what would happen for each one of us if we would hear this warning and truly be okay with not being okay. Say, God, I want to let my guard down. I want to let down this image and this appearance that I've figured it all out. I want to just be open and honest and confess the ways that I fall apart and I'm a mess. So like politically, all right, let's go back to this, this big bear. It's okay for you to want a candidate that I think is a terrible candidate. You can do that. But please don't hide their faults and say they don't exist. Please don't justify their faults in the name of Jesus. Own them and admit them and say, this isn't good. It's what we need. Period. Whatever side of the aisle you're wanting to vote on. In your personal life, you don't have to tell other people, fix your life and then I will love you. Sometimes we treat other people like projects. I went this week to help the community coalition. They asked me to help pick up some furniture from a, a nonprofit in town to deliver to a client who needed some new furniture. I said, sure, it'd take like half an hour, right? How hard could it be? Little did I know that in order to get the furniture, you first have to sit through a sermon where he tells you about how sinful you are and how you need Jesus. And then you have to sit for two and a half more hours just waiting for them to eventually be willing to give you some furniture. So what I thought was going to be a half an hour to serve somebody in need was four hours because there had to be a bait and switch. I will only serve your needs if you're willing first to listen. I will only feed you if you're first willing to get a job. I will only give you health care or whatever it is you need if first you begin to act like me. Church, I, I, I'm afraid that here in Knoxville, we, we might be this church. We look like we've got it all together and yet we don't know how to love our neighbor. And we don't know that our neighbor needs to be loved even if they never believe what we believe. And that our neighbor needs to be cared for even if they never change their their horrible, terrible, wicked ways that we want to condemn them for. But this is the promise. There's yet a few names that have not soiled their garments. And I kind of like that imagery. I've got kids. You guys, some of you have kids. You've seen kids. Soiling your garments, right? Just picture that. (laughs) That's what Jesus says it's like when we have a reputation of being alive, but we're really dead. There are some of you who have not, and you will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Jesus gives this promise. Hey, wake up from your slumber. Wake up before it's too late. See, if you don't wake up in the middle of this, what I didn't read, he says, I will come like a thief in the night. I'll take it all away from you. But he gives this promise for those of you who wake up. 
who hear what I'm saying and repent, who turn back to me, to, who turn back to the way I've intended it, that you're not just whitewashed tombs that look nice on the outside, but you're actually who you say you are. And you're consistent and vulnerable and honest and willing to admit you fail and you can still love your neighbor even when you don't have it all together. So look, to those people who turn back to that, I'm gonna clothe them with robes of white which throughout scripture is this image used for being made perfect. Now you and I aren't made perfect here and now. No matter how close you are, you will never actually get there here and now. But there's a promise for those who conquer. For those who press on with the willingness to say, I'm not going to act somebody different than who I really am. I'm not going to act like I've got it all together or my life is perfect. Instead, I'll just be real and honest. And trust that Jesus can cover even my biggest mess. Hey, to those who conquer, I'm going to write your name in the book of life for all eternity. And I'm going to clothe you in white and you will be worthy. If you're here today and your life is a mess and not all together, and you're living in things that if only somebody saw your search history and your browser history, you're doing things that you know aren't healthy, but you got to put on the image and look like it's all okay. Today's the day to hear this promise. Look, just come out. Admit your failures and your sin. Admit the places you struggle and can't get it all together. And find the strength of us, the church to walk beside you and say, we can do this. You can do this. And then out of that place, you and I as one of the congregations here in Knoxville can no longer be focused on what's in it for me or what do I get or why is this good for my life and begin to say, what does my neighbor need in his life? And you and I can begin to say, you know what? I can't open up my house to one of those 700, but I can support the family that is. I can't fix human trafficking, but I can give my time to care for these women when somebody else is bringing them out of it. And you and I can begin to move our focus from these seats and our gathering every week into the streets out there and our scattering, the places where we work and where we play, the places where we live. We can begin to see in our real open honesty, I am a mess and it's okay. We can begin to see God work through us for those who are hurting. So church, wake up and strengthen yourself. Because Christ has done it all and it will be okay. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, it is so tempting to see hypocrites being those people. It is so tempting to see hypocrites being others and to think we've got it all together. Lord, you tell us otherwise. God, we are a hypocrite anytime we think that our sin is not that big of a deal. We are a hypocrite who has the appearance of being alive but is really dead. Anytime we think somebody else's sin is bigger than ours, we are that mess when we think we can do it on our own. So God, I pray you'd wake us up as your church, that here in this community, in this Bible Belt, where Christianity is a culture, but not a faith, not a way of life. God, I pray you would wake us up that we would begin to be different in this community. Not with the reputation of being alive alone, but with actually being alive. That we would love and serve and care 
with no agenda, simply because you do. God, we thank you for this morning and all that you're saying, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week I introduced to you something called rent-free. And if you've been around here before, every single year we do rent-free as a church body. Rent-free is an opportunity at the end of the year for us to set aside next year's rent in advance. Because more often than not, uh, paying rent for this space so that we can gather is one of the single biggest hurdles to us loving our community and serving out there on a regular basis. This week was really encouraging to me. See, last week I asked you to go home and to pray about what is God asking you to do towards rent-free? What part can you have in making a difference in 2020 in our community? And I said, don't commit to giving anything right now, but pray about God, should I give a year-end gift or should I increase my giving next year by $7 a week? See, if every one of us increased our giving by $7 a week next year, we would have all of rent set aside and, and ready. So I said, pray about that and think about that. And then through the course of this week, I got to have two different meetings that I wasn't expecting that were really encouraging. Both of them brought on by people in the community who reached out to me and said, we know you guys have partnered with Brewfest and Bar Church and some of these things in the past. We know you've done a lot in the community. Can we find more ways for you guys to be a part of what's happening in the life of this city? In fact, the organizer of Brewfest reached out and said, we do some other events. Can you come be a part of that too? We'd like you there. A beard and beer market where we're going this afternoon for the race, they said, can we sit down in January and like map out ways we can partner in our community? Unsolicited, they asked, can we work together in our community? See, when we free up our rent money, when we set it aside and have it ready, we are free to use the rest of our budget to be in the community in such a way that they notice and say, we want more. Can you be a part of it? That has me really, really excited. So if you spent this last week doing what I asked you to do, praying about making a commitment or making a year-end gift, you were given today one of those little cards that says rent-free on them. They look sort of like this, all right? Actually, they look exactly like that, all right? Uh, you were given one of these cards, and you can either turn it back in today if you already know, or take it home and continue to pray. On it are two options. On one side, you can say, I'm going to commit to increasing my giving next year. And on the other side, you can say, I'm going to give a year-end gift. And on both of those, you can either give in cash or check on any Sunday morning, or you can scan this QR code. It'll take you, even if you scan it on this big screen, I tested it, uh, it'll take you directly to a place where you can give the year-end gift for next year. Say, I want to be a part of this. And if you're not sure yet what role God has for you, don't make a decision yet. Uh, we'll be collecting these all the way through Christmas Eve. That will be the last uh, time together we'll collect these. But uh, if you scan this code, you can fill this out online if you prefer, okay? And I'm not asking any of you to give out of obligation. Like, you don't have to do anything to be a part of this community. But if you believe what God is doing through us in this city is worth it, I want to invite you to join us. However you choose to give, whether it's in the buckets or at thepointknocks.com, remember this. We give not to get his love, but because we already have it. Will you join me in worship as we collect our offering? Well, every week we invite questions. We believe questions are a healthy part of faith. And faith doesn't mean you know it all or figured it all out. And I have to confess and ask for forgiveness. Last week, a question came in. I was like, 
I don't have time to answer that one because it's a really big one. And the question was, what's the difference between a water baptism and baptism by fire? Uh, Both we see in scripture, what do they mean? And I have to confess that in my week and all that went on, I completely forgot to respond to that. Uh, I had said I would respond online and give a a point leftovers and I forgot. So if that was your question, don't worry. I, I will get to it this week, Tuesday morning to be precise. So on Tuesday afternoon, you can say, hey, Adam, It'll happen, all right? But we did get a couple of questions that came in today. The first one, are the Advent services on live stream? No. One, because it's hard to set up a live stream in that space. And two, because the goal of those services is to connect with one another, and that's really hard on live stream. So for those of you joining us on live stream, maybe you can join us uh, Wednesday evening for that hour in person. And for those of you who want to be there but can't, uh, I'm sorry. How do we as a church walk the line of loving people well, no matter what they do or look like, but not being okay with come as you are and stay as you are? Uh, with grace and truth. In scripture, we're called to speak the truth in love. Uh, there are people, every one of us, we're in different stages of our journey. The process of walking with God is not suddenly you have it all figured out and life is different. So as we grow, as we change, it will be different for you as, than it is for me and for one another. So how do we walk the line of uh, speaking the truth and encouraging them to become who God made them to be while also recognizing it's okay for them to be as they are? Uh, carefully and prayerfully and with a lot of love. And sometimes we'll probably get it wrong and we should say we're sorry and seek forgiveness. And sometimes we might be too cautious and we should probably... Be for, or seek forgiveness for that too. Um, so if you're here and you're wrestling with something or there's somebody you're trying to say, how do I help encourage them? Uh, my simple answer would be, uh, take time to pray and ask other people, how can I love them best? What would your input be? And um, what do you think I could do better to love and care for them in this journey? And the thing that I really like about the disciples of Jesus is all of them were totally... Uh, total nincompoops. They really just like dropped the ball time and time again. Even up until after his resurrection, they still missed it. And so you can be walking that line with somebody and have them go right back to what you thought was like, why would they choose that? I thought they were past that. And they probably are, and that's okay. Just continue to love them and walk with them through their journey. All right. Uh, now, Today, I'm going to be around for a few minutes, but afterwards, I'm going to bail as quickly as possible uh, to go get ready for the ugly Christmas sweater 5K. If you didn't sign up, but you want to show up, you're welcome to come hang out and have a good time at the Beard and Beer Market. We have some hot chocolate and all kinds of great stuff for the after party, as well as like 225 people that are going to be running the race. So it's going to be really, really fun. Come hang out, have a good time, and uh, we're going to make a difference in our community through that. So before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. 
Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. 